Hi everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Matthew Leonard here at the Democrat and Chronicle with my reporting colleague Patty Singer. Hey Patty. Hi Matthew. Back to talk about uh, things that might impact you in your the area of health, uh, things that might be of concern to your family and those around you. Let's talk about, um, let's touch quickly, very, very quickly on Amy Norton. That's news as we speak today. Um, tell us a little bit about Amy Norton and why she's someone we should acknowledge. Well, you know, it's interesting. There are so many people out there that you've never heard of who affect your life deeply. Uh, Amy Norton was a uh, mother of two, lived in Pittsburgh. She was 48 years old and she had early onset Alzheimer's. She was diagnosed five years ago and she died on the first day of spring, died on Tuesday. And her family, once she was diagnosed, they lived in Georgia, they moved to this area to be closer to family after she was diagnosed. And her husband and two kids became, two teenage kids became very involved in raising awareness for Alzheimer's. They formed a team for the uh, Walk to End Alzheimer's. The daughter, Megan, uh, very briefly was the impetus. She was the impetus behind a teen support group that didn't, unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, never really got the legs on it. It lasted for about a year. Uh, perhaps it, that's something that can be brought back in a Facebook group or things like that to help younger kids who, whose parent uh, or even grandparent, you know, has Alzheimer's. But Amy Norton is someone who just went about her life and yet touched so many others. And people read the obituaries on a daily basis, and they these are all the stories behind behind right. those people. So families owe a debt to Amy Norton, her husband Brian, her children Megan and Justin, for being public about living with a mom with, and a wife with with Alzheimer's and how that changed their family. Right. Uh, Full story, of course, at democratandchronicle.com. Uh, opioids, uh, some developments this week, particularly around um, access to Narcan, this very powerful um, uh, antidote reversal uh, medication. Um, what's new in that area? Well, I think the interesting thing that happened in the last week or so with that is that the town of Greece listened to its residents. There have been a, a core of residents that had thought the town was giving them short shrift, that Supervisor Bill Rylick was not sensitive to their needs and felt, you know, this, this is not something the town can do. They were persistent. Uh, a bunch of them, about a dozen, went to a town board meeting on February 26th, spoke at the public comment one after one after one after one to tell about their own stories, their family stories. A couple days later, the town contacted uh, Carol Holsizer, who has a nonprofit called Mission Recovery and Hope, and uh, responded to her proposal. Hey, all we want is a room. We'll run the programs. Give us space. This is a problem in Greece. Listen to us. They did. They gave them a room in town hall. It is either the last Wednesday or Thursday of every month for the rest of the year. They'll have meetings in which families can learn about resources. They'll have Narcan training there as well. And it's a place for families, pretty, predominantly on the west side, to come have another place for resources. I mean, why is this a problem in Greece? According to law enforcement, last year 72 Greece residents overdosed, and there were nine in the first two months of this year. So, you know, Greece listened to the residents and responded to them. So good for the residents for, for you know, keeping that drumbeat going. Great. Um, breast cancer, uh, tell us about, um, there's some uh, different treatment options or different awareness well, around needs there, to address. There's a grant that's going to the University at Albany, the SUNY University at Albany, uh, from the Susan G. Komen Foundation to look at what's gonna happen with cells. So, Often, a woman who gets a diagnosis of ductal carcinoma in situ, or stage zero, or early stage breast cancer, will have the same treatment as someone with a more aggressive form. Right. Uh, they may have a mastectomy. 
chemo, radiation, because right now the doctors don't know which tumors are going to sit there and do nothing forever, or which ones are going to, what in my terms, have a jailbreak. And they're in, it's in the, it's in the ducts. It's contained there right now. But when's the jailbreak? If you, if you're diagnosed with DCIS and you ask your doctor when the jailbreak is, he or she is not going to be able to tell you. Consequently, you'll get the same lobectomy, mastectomy, chemo, radiation, really all the big guns because nobody knows. And do you not want to do something and then have this turn aggressive? And then where are you, right? Right. So this grant to the university uh, at Albany is going to look at, uh, it's going to look at some DNA and how DNA regulates how genes express themselves. That's the end of the science lesson that you're going to get on this podcast. But the implications for that are, if, the, if doctors, scientists and doctors can figure out which cells will not become aggressive, will not spread, will not from, go from a stage zero to a stage three or four, then those women may, not be, may be able to not have any treatment or more conservative treatment. Right now, that's a question that doctors do not know. So the potential, put it another way, is that it may eliminate some unnecessary treatment for women who fall into a particular category or whose cell at least the analysis shows that their cells fall into a particular category and so they may not need to undergo these aggressive treatments right because right now you know when uh, the mammogram mammography is still picking up the same number of more advanced breast cancers as it was years ago the thing now is it's picking up picking them up earlier and picking up this dcis well what do you do about that when your knowledge hasn't caught up to your technology in a sense, right? You you end up with a very aggressive treatment. Could that change in the future? And who knows when that future is? This grant is for a couple years, so it's gonna it's gonna be a while. So if you have a DCIS diagnosis now, you may have the same options treatment, same or not before. options um, as there were a few years ago. But down the road, hopefully there will be some better options. Right. Um, we, we started our conversation talking about people who impact your lives that you may not know about. Uh, Dr. Timothy Quill, tell us a little bit about why um, uh, he's important, particularly in the area of palliative, palliative care. Uh, Dr. Timothy Quill was, has really been a pioneer at end-of-life decision-making process, really, for the, for the nation. I mean, he's in Rochester, and anybody who remembers the Genesee Hospital walking the halls there can remember hearing his name being paged, and I, and I, and I certainly do as well. Um, for anyone who is receiving palliative care for whether it's end-of-life or just a serious transient illness, um, but anyone who is receiving hospice, anyone who wants to make the decision of do I want, do I not want any more care? You know, you can thank Dr. Timothy Quill for this because he has really pioneered uh, at great risk to him, to his own reputation many years ago. Um, The name Diane may be familiar to some Rochester people. In 1991, he wrote in the New England Journal of Medicine about Diane, a longtime patient of his who did not want any more treatment for her severe leukemia and wanted to, to end her life, and could he help her? And he did. And he ended up in, the Supreme, in front of the Supreme Court arguing about physician-assisted dying. Now, Still a completely contested exactly, but you know the thing about Quill is, Kevorkian came along at the same time and really muddled the discussion, and I think that that has hurt the discussion ever since because people 
everybody knows Kevorkian, but do a lot of people know Quill? You have to dig a little bit deeper. But we're talking about him because he received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Academy of, of Hospice and Palliative Medicine. And really, we're fortunate in this community because we're so far ahead, I think, of other communities with these end-of-life decisions that are left in our hands, in the hands of our family, because of Dr. Quill. Plenty more where that came from at democratandchronicle.com. Patty Singer's my colleague here, and uh, we'll be back in the next week or two. Not quite sure when, but we will be back to talk about more issues in health. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Patty. Thank you, Matthew.